The Christmas story is one of the most well-known, often told, and frequently misunderstood stories of all time. There are all kinds of versions of it where people try to do some service to the story of Christmas, the story of redemption, the story of grace, the story of renewal. And there are, there, there's actually an industry out there of Christmas movies. Most of us have our favorites of those. They're the classics of Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street. There are the ones that bring up debate, is it a Christmas story or not? Die Hard and a few others. My all-time favorite, because it just grabs your heart and gives so much sentiment to it, is a Christmas story. With Ralphie. They're actually doing a remake of that with Ralphie as an adult. I don't know if he'll still shoot his eye out or not, but it's going to be interesting. But the real Christmas story is the one that matters. And the truth is, we often get so familiar with it, we no longer hear it. And this year, my prayer is that you will hear the story. Hear it so that it actually touches you, not hear it so that you can nod and go, yada, yada, I know that. So each Sunday, we're going to take a look at one of the different characters as we look at the whole story and try to look at the Christmas story from their viewpoint. Jody mentioned earlier that our daughter and her family from Michigan and our three youngest grandkids were with us for a few days this week, and it was awesome. And uh, the house is too quiet now, and Jody didn't appreciate me running around yelling last night, trying to make, <laughs> trying to make up the noise. But one of these Sundays, my three youngest granddaughters are going to help tell the story. Because I sat down and we videotaped as I asked them some questions about Christmas and the Christmas story from age three to age eight, and they nailed it. They nailed both the side of fun and the side of the truth, what this is really all about. And that's my prayer for you, that this year, you'll get it. This year, you'll apply it. This year, you'll share the story of Christmas from your view, from where you sit, where you live, and what Jesus coming means to you. So let's take a look. This morning, we're looking in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, and we're looking at Mary's story. We're looking at Luke chapter 2. Excuse me, Luke chapter 1. I put it wrong on all the stuff. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Mary's story. 
Now, you have to have some context to understand this. In the culture that Mary was living in, girls in particular got married very young, generally as a teenager. I don't mean like 18, I mean younger. Also, when it was decided that they were going to get married, what we call an engagement, the term is sometimes translated in different Bibles as betrothed. It simply is another word for engaged, but it had a lot different meaning then than it does now. At that time, it was actually a legal term of a binding contract. And to break an engagement couldn't be done by text or phone or a note. They had to divorce to break an engagement. They were not yet married, and yet contractually they had agreed not only that they were going to, but that they were going to continue to be married. So to end an engagement literally required a divorce. Now, this would also get prearranged, and the families had to agree, and all of those things came into play. And the idea of being together man and woman before the marriage was forbidden and no one would. Mary was a follower of God. Her fiancé, Joseph, her soon-to-be husband, was a follower of God's. And so we break into the story here in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do not be afraid. I don't know about you, but I think it was right that Mary was fearful. 
I mean, it was to be expected. An angel showed up and began speaking to her. Now, one of the things that has always struck me about this passage is in verse 29, it says, she was greatly troubled at the saying. (laughs) I think I would have been greatly troubled that an angel showed up and started talking to me no matter what they said. But the scripture records she was more troubled or concerned or fearful or confused by what the angel said. It just shows she was more mature than me. But she was concerned. So as we take a look at this, we understand, first of all, that from Mary's view, she was fearful at first. She asked, and it's appropriate, why me? (laughs) Why are you talking to me? Now, the angel had already told her that, but Mary evidently didn't believe it because the angel said, greetings, this is in verse 28, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Maybe that's what troubled Mary when he said, favored one, because maybe she didn't view herself that way. Do you view yourself that way? As one who is favored by God? Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are. You are loved by him so much so that what we celebrate as we come to the Christmas season was all a prelude to Jesus on the cross. As one of the songs says, He was literally born to die because of how much he loved you. He came to be that sacrifice. But Mary had to be asking, why me? Here I am about to enter into a lifetime together with my soon-to-be husband, doing what's right, following the Lord. And now this. Why me? I don't have to ask if you've ever asked that question. You have, right? Sometimes when things go well, but more often when things are not going so well. Why me? Or maybe, why me again? When that car doesn't start again. Why me? Mary was asking the question, the difference between Mary and us so often is, I'm not sure we're listening for the answer. I think we're just wanting to ask the question, why me? I don't really want to know the answer. I just want to be able to whine the question. Why me? Why did I run out of gas? Well, maybe because I didn't put gas in the car. Why is my tire flat? Maybe because you knew it was already leaking and you didn't get it changed. How come I never get a parking spot? I don't know the answer to that one. (laughs) But the truth is, just like you many times, Mary never imagined being in the position she was in. We're 
God, Jehovah, sent an angel to her, called her a favored one, and said, you are to be the one who gives birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So that fear quickly turned to confusion. Mary was confused. It's obvious from verse 34 after the angel gave her what was about to happen. And she very honestly said to the angel, excuse me, I don't think so. She asked the practical question, how in the world is this possible? I passed biology in school. This isn't possible. I don't know about you, but I get confused a lot by a lot of things, sometimes by God, because I knew what I thought he should do. And he doesn't always do that, especially when what I thought didn't match his will. But sometimes when I'm confused, I haven't yet discerned that, wait a minute, that was my will, not, not his. How is this going to happen? The confusion that comes, and sometimes I believe as we look in the word and as we try to follow Christ, or if we're thinking about accepting him, we're kind of asking, how? How am I going to do this? I just can't imagine following for that long. I can't imagine that he really loves me. I can't imagine serving him. I can't imagine that he can forgive me of all my stuff because I know all my stuff. How? And just like to Mary, the answer for you and for me is that's just how much Jesus loves you. That's why he was born. That's the Christmas story. He came because of how much he loved us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. See, love and giving always go together. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And God loves you, so he gives the angel explained to Mary, though I have a feeling she must have still been wondering, why me and how? I think those were ongoing, but Mary was willing to listen, to pay attention. Verse 37, the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. I have always believed that is a two-part meaning. Nothing being impossible with God, meaning God's not Captive to circumstances, any circumstances. The series we did recently about God's still God and all the people who were in those difficult situations, whether it was a fiery furnace or a lion's den, and on and on we looked at those stories, didn't matter. God was God and he could do the impossible. What we thought was impossible, meaning nothing's impossible with God. But I believe there's a second meaning that we often break. The second meaning, I believe, is that if we are with God, it is impossible for nothing to happen. 
That if we love him, if we've accepted him, if we've embraced and said, Jesus, I'm following you, it is impossible for us to do nothing. Because it doesn't match who God is. For nothing is impossible if we're with God. He can do all things. He can do anything. Mary beginning to understand this, but there had to still be those questions. She had to be wondering, what about my plans? I still wonder that sometimes. Well, Lord, I see what you want me to do, but I had a different idea. Let's talk about that. By the way, I've never won one of those discussions yet. And man, am I glad I haven't. But she had to be wondering, what about my plan? I mean, I'm engaged. This is a legal contract. This will be a big deal. Do I have to break off the engagement? To do what God wants? What about my plans? My family? Will I be able to have any other children? Or just this one? All kinds of wondering. How? Why? But as we're going to look at next week a little deeper, this next question is one that had immediate consequences. What will others think? Oh, now we're not supposed to live our life based on what others think. That's true. But what was Joseph, her fiance, going to think? Because he knew he hadn't been with her. When she tells him, I'm pregnant, but it's God's child. (laughs) Yeah, right, Mary. Good one. What will they think? What about my parents? What about my future in-laws? What about my friends? Which is how Mary responded makes it even more remarkable. Asking those questions. And we have to be careful not to ignore what others might think, but not to run our life by what others think. Because the only other that matters is God. And God really shouldn't be an other if we're following him. He should be in us. That should be our plans. Matched up to his plans. And you look at this with Mary. Verse 38, one of the most remarkable verses in all of Scripture. After all of this, after the questions, in this even short amount of time as this was all processed, the Scripture says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That sounds an awful lot like part of a prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. When Jesus himself said to the Father, if it's possible, let's choose a different path. If it's possible, take this away. But then he prayed as Mary answered, 
not my will, but yours. You want to radically change your life? Start praying that prayer. Start making that declaration. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. You want to take it even deeper. Say, Lord, make what I want what you want. That's surrender. Mary surrendered and she obeyed. She proved it's not necessary to completely understand in order to obey. Let me repeat that. It's not necessary to completely understand God's plan to be obedient. She still didn't understand it, but she said yes. We don't have to understand it all. God doesn't owe us the explanation. But we are called to obey. But here's what we have to understand. It is easier to obey when you surrender your will for God's will. It's easier, much easier, infinitely easier to obey once I surrender my will to his will. Because if I haven't, we are now competing. If you haven't surrendered your will to his, then you are competing against his will, and that never works, and we never obey. If you want to be obedient, surrender your will. It's okay to surrender it by saying, Lord, I don't understand this, can't imagine it, but I'm yours. Lord, this doesn't make sense. I had my plans. I had it all laid out. I've already entered it in my computer, on my calendar. But your will, not mine. I remember vividly sitting, standing, and pacing in a waiting room. I'm old enough for this. For our son, our first child, to be born. I'm old enough that I wasn't allowed back there yet. Either that or they took a look at me and said, I don't think so. (laughs) It's highly possible it was the second. But anyway, in that waiting room, And he stubbornly, evidently, didn't want to come out. Because after 15 hours of labor, he was still in there. The problem was, stuff kept happening that shouldn't be happening. His heart rate and all his other vitals would just, boom, drop off the charts. And they would tell Jody... Hop like a bunny, move back and forth on the bed. Nine plus months pregnant, already 15 hours into labor. That wasn't something she wanted to do. And I don't blame her. And every time that would happen, because this was a different day, I had to leave the room. Go back out to the waiting room till they would come back and get me and say, it's okay to come back in. I saw at least six dads come and go. Come into the waiting room. Hey, congratulations, here's your baby. And they left. So I was saying, why me? And what's going on? Not as much as she was. 
Don't, I, I, I'm not comparing the two. And then they finally said, he's in trouble. We need to do an emergency C-section. I didn't really know what that meant, but I heard in trouble and emergency. And I can still, to this day, remember the doctor on one side of the bed, Jody groaning appropriately on the bed and me on the other side and him extending me a clipboard while I signed the consent over the top of her. I don't even know what I'm signing. <laughs> and not long after they came and said, congratulations, etc. But I remember in that waiting room and all the other dads were gone, which actually I think was a good thing. I remember praying, Lord, this is not how we planned this. But however you do it, it's in your hands. See, if we can't live that way, we can't really follow. We were fortunate. Everything came out wonderfully. Mary, not knowing the outcome, said, I surrender my will to yours. In fact, you need to understand that word we translate servant in verse 38. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. The technical term for that is bond servant, which meant, again, under contract. In fact, a bond servant was often identified where they would take them, put them up against a doorpost, hold the ear out, and with an awl, that's a nice sharp metal pointed thing, they would pound a hole through the ear that you are now bound and a bond servant. And that's the word she used purposely. She said, Lord, I am bound to you. I am bonded to you. So I'll do what you ask. No wonder she was able to give birth in a stable. No wonder she was able to lay her baby in a manger because she knew this was all God. It wasn't her. It wasn't Joseph. She had already given that to him for his will to be done. For you see, it's not necessary to understand to obey, but if you've surrendered, it's a lot easier to obey. And all of this requires you seeking God's will. You see, to surrender to God's will, you need to have some clue as to what it is. You don't have to know all of it because, trust me, he won't give it all to you. You couldn't handle it if he did. Think back over the last five years, let alone 10 or 20 if God would have told you 5, 10, 20 years ago everything that was going to happen, you would have died on the spot or said no and gone into the closet, closed the door. But we need to seek his will. Is this what he desires? But don't miss this in conclusion. 
when we look at this whole thing, verse 32 and 33, he'll be great, will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him to give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. You see, the results of Mary surrendering, the results of God's plan were world-changing. The birth in the stable in the manger of Jesus changed the world. History is marked and cut by the time before Jesus, B.C., and after A.D., the whole world acknowledges some without even realizing it. The world was changed because of a teenage girl and her fiance. We'll look at him next week. Who said, I'm the Lord's. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. It's not my plan. But Lord, I'm your servant bound to you. Do your will. But here's the thing that God just pounded on me this week. The results were world changing because of what Mary did. And that's true for you and me. That when we surrender, when we obey, the world is changed. Not just our world, but there's an impact. Because one of the things that struck me as I sat around with part of my family and grandkids and heard them tell the Christmas story, even the three-year-old, that's a result of their parents teaching them. It's a result of us teaching their parents. It's a result of my parents, their great-grandparents, teaching us and praying for them before they were ever around. You see, when we surrender, even in the little things, the world is changed. You can be a world changer by taking Mary's view of the Christmas story. Let me ask you, what's your view? How do you look at this are you still fearful or confused or just wondering what's going on? Or have you surrendered or ready to surrender and obey? God is still God. And he is still changing people's lives. And it started for us in the manger. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. For the example of Mary. Thank you for her example of the honesty. Lord, how can this be? But the beauty of her surrender and obedience. I am the Lord's servant. Oh, Father. May many of us today give that same answer. And I pray for anyone here this morning who has not made that decision to follow you, that they can start that process today, right now, by just saying, Lord, I'm yours. 
forgive me. Because you've already promised you will do that. Lord, as we go this week, may we show the world your story. May our surrender and obedience make changes in our life and in the lives of those around us. Because you are God. And you're still changing the world. In Jesus' name, amen.